there's a part of me that is a permanent child. Like I'm very childish, childlike. Autumn, I feel like has been way ahead of me on a lot of those things. And I think that's been a fun part of the dynamic too. Because <laughs> I always feel like I'm like, bloop, bloop, bloop. I'll be like off in my idealistic visiony space. And she's like, and here's the pragmatic ways that we can make that happen. And I think we've learned a ton about each other in the process of doing this podcast. Hello, and welcome to Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Among. This season is called Possibilities of Love, where we explore how love is the fulcrum of our most abundant collaborations. Today's guests are Autumn Brown and Adrian Marie Brown. Autumn is a mother, organizer, theologian, artist, and facilitator. She works with the Anti-Oppression Resource and Training Alliance, a worker-owned cooperative devoted to strengthening movements for social justice and a solidarity economy through political education, training, and planning. She lives in Minneapolis with her three brilliant children. Adrienne Marie Brown grows healing ideas in public through her multi-genre writing, her music, and her podcasts. Informed by 25 years of movement facilitation, somatics, Octavia E. Butler scholarship, and her work as a doula, Adrienne has nurtured emergent strategy, pleasure activism, radical imagination, and transformative justice as ideas and practices for transformation. She is the author and editor of seven published texts and the founder of Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute, where she is now the writer in residence. Together, the Brown sisters host the incredible How to Survive the End of the World podcast, a show about learning from the apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. It is thoughtful, intimate, funny, and a beacon of sibling love that is just a joy to listen to. And I'm sure many of you are avid listeners just like me. In this episode, we talk about this beautiful collaboration they're engaging with each other. And it was just such a gift to be in conversation with people who have inspired the work of this podcast and have made such a beautiful portal of possibility available to us all. Lots of love. Here's my conversation with Autumn and Adrian. Oh my God. I am so, so, so excited for today. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have both of you together here, Autumn and Adrian. Yay. Just, I've been looking forward to this for so long. <laughs> How are you doing? Welcome to Possibilities Podcast. It's so exciting to be oh, here. We are so honored to be here. I'm so glad we were able to make this work. This is Autumn speaking. I love that the theme of this coming season of your show is about love, and the theme of our current season is love. It's just like, I know. Ah, so good. <laughs> it's so right. It feels right for the whole universe to be in this conversation right now. It was just such a joy when I saw y'all post that on your podcast Instagram stream. I was like, this is amazing because we had like a year from today is when we had actually submitted a proposal to do this work so that we could be funded in the work. Oh, cool. And so when I saw it, I was like, we're going to be doing it around the same time. And I was like, there's multiple layers of magic for me in this because the first episode of this podcast was with you, Adrian. Yes. Oh, that's right. And that was such a beautiful, fun Amazing experience for me that I was like, I have to keep doing this. You know, it felt like such a joy. Yeah, it was dreamy. And but even before that, I feel like podcasting is not something I like indulged in a lot. Yeah. But when I started listening, even to the early episodes of your podcast, that was the moment in which I stepped into this world of Aww. conversation, of this intimacy of conversation and having that be there in a way that felt really joyful and expansive for me, even as you're talking about how to survive the end of the world and yes. how to make it through this time with all its complications. And so I'm just so thrilled that you both are here on this podcast with me now, because I feel like y'all have been important collaborators for me to be mm. here. Thank you so much. You know, I love doing anything with you. You're always so intentional and loving and caring and how you approach stuff. And I know it's going to be a beautiful conversation. There's certain people I'm like, oh yeah, always say yes. <laughs> it was, oh. It's going to be good. So it's also, we get to spend a whole day together. We're recording with you and then we're getting to give a collective keynote after this. So Amazing. it's also like this beautiful day that we're in yeah. of like sister love time. So mm -hmm. it's really good. Mm -hmm. I remember I sent like a really long list of dates because I was like, I know y'all are busy people. And I put this date in having this feeling that it would work out today. And then it did. And I was like, I'm just going to accept this because today's my mom's birthday. Oh. And my mom passed away. I think this is the ninth year of her passing away. Oh, wow. wow. Mom. And I'm 
really grateful to be here with y'all in conversation because I think this is a nice thing for me to experience in the morning as I'm starting off my day. I mean, I talked to my family yes. earlier and all these things. Yeah. So when I sent the data, I had a feeling. And then when it came through, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do today. And I'm really wow. excited wow. to share this with wow. y'all. Do you wow. want to tell us like something the world should know about your mom? Mm-hmm. There's so many things. She was an incredible cook. She was excellent in many, many ways. She was good at beautifying things. She was a Libra. So uh-huh. she mm. <laughs> and so she had the sense of beauty and creation and she made our home like whatever resources she had, she would make it beautiful. Whatever, even in our food, everything was so good, so perfect in this mm-hmm. way of like people find it hard to believe. I don't like spicy food. I didn't really grow up with spicy food, mm-hmm. which when people think of folks from where I come from, everyone thinks like, I eat a lot of spicy food. I don't. Mm-hmm. But it was always meticulously spiced in a way that was calming and healthful and joyous. Mm. She experienced a lot of things in her life. And that was definitely part of my experience with her. But I really know her to be someone who cared deeply about making the world beautiful and ma- making wow. whatever she mm. offered into the world beautiful. I hope I channel some of that Oh yeah, today and every day. Yes, you do. Thank you for sharing her with us. Hi, mom. <laughs> she would love to be part of the conversation here. You know, I think she is someone who was also very uh, studied and, and and loved learning and uh, mm. was really mystical. Uh, I think I get so much of my interest. In, and we used to go to like things that I think I talk to people now here when I'm, I'm in Canada. I grew up, my mom, you know, in Abu Dhabi in India. And one of the things that I... I get to share with people here now is how much I got to go to dargahs and temples and I got to mm. practice ritual in a very, like it was just a, like breathing. It yes. wasn't wow. something separate from in ways that I think here we have to build it up a little bit because yes. of the separation yeah. that has been caused. And of course, even there, there was colonialism, but there was a way in which colonialism didn't touch every single thing yeah. in the ways that I feel like here there has yeah, been yeah. a deeper breaking, mm-hmm. at least for people who've like been moved here or have moved here, I think. Indigenous folks could speak differently to some of those pieces. But anyway, Mm. that was just this piece of where I think that also lives in me through her, this connection that I can have. And I want to say that I think that part is also what I find resonance in your podcast for myself is your deep interest and your orientation Mm. and your curiosity about the mystical, about the ritual, about the practice of how do we make the world. And so I wonder in this moment, what practice or what belief about the unknown Mm. are you holding that you're able to collaborate with to move through this time because there's so much unknown today there's so much that has been shown to be unknown even deeper than in the last few years everything that we took for granted maybe we get to not take for granted anymore and so as we move through this deeper time what has held you and what are you holding as you move forward Mm. such an excellent question this is autumn I probably have said this to our audience on our show, but one of the beliefs that I've really been leaning into with a lot of just surrender is this will end, whatever this is. Mm. And actually, as you said, Umang, there is so much that is unknown There's so little that we can know, and knowledge can be such a trap, actually. (laughs) Exactly. It really can be. Or believing that we have knowledge about something can be such a trap. Yes. One of the things that we do know that's just built into the ecology of our lives is that all things do end in some way, even if the ending is a part of a repurposing or a recomposition, composting, but things do end. And actually, it is such a great comfort to know that. And so Mm. when I'm in a moment of really severe stress or anxiety, Mm. or if I'm going through something that's particularly painful lately, I do find myself saying, well, whatever it is, it's going to end. And when I look around at the world and I see all the things that are unfolding where there's so much pain and suffering, mm. I think to myself, well, we will all die. Yeah. So <laughs> let's so just be, that. let's move with as much purpose and clarity and heart and love as we can while we are still breathing. Mm-hmm. But let's not necessarily orient to the inevitability of death as 
some tragedy that's coming for all of us. It actually can be a source of grace, I think. That's really beautiful, sister. This is Adrian. I feel a lot of resonance with what you just said. Like, this is temporary, this shall pass. Like, all of this is temporary. But there's also something in me that's like, my training, my political training from Grace Lee Boggs was there's opportunity in crisis. And so something I have found lately is like, there's a little, it could be better, right? So I'll often have a moment where something that seems like a total crisis happens, right? Where it's like, why is this happening to me? (laughs) You know? And then if I'm like, well, it it could lead to something better. You don't know. Mm. And then that's what happens. So like I told y'all when I hopped on the call today, a trash can jumped up from like basically a car in front of me hit a trash can and it made the trash can fly up into the side of my car as I was driving home from acupuncture day. So I'm like totally chilled, calm down, you know, really grounded. And there's a school bus next to me. So I can't swerve out of the path of the trash can. And so it totally mangled the side of the car, but I'm, and I'm trying to sell this car. So I was like, dang, why is this happening to me? <laughs> but then I was like, well, <laughs> there were already a bun- there were already a few bumps and scrapes on the side of the car. And because this trash can has now hit it and it's not my fault, it's likely that insurance will cover fixing the whole situation. And maybe I'll be able to sell it even better. <laughs> but I'm like sitting in the moment being like, I don't know why, but I don't have to take it as like the universe is trying to punish me or cause trouble for me. But there's something in there that's like, if I keep my mind open, there is an opportunity in everything that happens. And in somatics, there's this idea of moving towards the open space. Mm. When you're in a room, they'll do this practice where we're all walk, everybody walk in the space and move in the space. And you try to train your attention, move towards the opening, find the opening. There's always a way. And I feel like that too, right? It's like, oh, there's crisis in front of me, like 99% of what I see is crisis, but there's still a little opening here. What does it look like for me to shift through that into the unknown that's on the other side of it? The unknown could be your friend. Oh yeah. I mean, it almost always is, I will say that's also been true in my life is that even the things that like seemed and have been very hard to go through have led to more liberation, more self-understanding, more agency, more legitimate connection, more depth of relationship. So when I look back, I'm like, oh, most of the crises of my adult life have been good ones. If that makes sense. <laughs> so, Yes. And I wonder what the large scale piece of that is. Like we're going through some really deep moment in the world or, oh, yeah. you know, a deep contraction of like having to stay at home. And now we're there's this weird space of like, shall we stay at home? Shall we, or, or is life calling us? Let's go out and risk it all because the government says it's okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, but it's also, I do think that on the systemic level, it's like the systems that have caused us the most pain and oppression are all like running into, crashing into themselves and into the wall of the future. Mm-hmm. This thing is not going to work for the future. And it's really uncomfortable to be inside of all that crashing and banging and unbecoming and last throws. And, you know, you can see the way, I mean, if you just look at patriarchy alone, the way that patriarchy is trying to grab everything on the way down, but it's like, yeah, grab away. You're still going down. It's like when Jafar gets pulled into the lamp in Aladdin. I was thinking of Jafar and the Lamp. Could you tell us more about Jafar and the Lamp? In the Disney version of the Aladdin cartoon movie, when when Jafar accidentally is like, I want to be the most powerful being on earth, so that's a genie. Yes. And then like, oh no, I accidentally made myself a genie that has to go back into the the lamp. And then it's like trying to grab everything on the way in and ends up grabbing his little parrot friend. Iago. Yes. Iago. His parrot friend somehow has like a a weird name from a Shakespearean play. Iago is from Otello. I think it's supposed to have some meaning that I didn't read (laughs) deep enough into. Patriarchy is like that. Patriarchy is like that. Yeah, it's just going in and grabbing (laughs) everything and then it has to get into a lamp now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like either way, you're going to end up in a tiny space by yourself because there's no room for this in the world.
I wanted to also ask you, because I think one of the things that I love about your podcast, and you've done it for like six years now, and, and I wanted to talk to you about collaboration in particular, because it's a particular kind of collaboration. You've known each other your like, whole lifetimes, and almost whole lifetimes for the one who's older. I think, Adrian, you're a little older. <laughs> yes, only a little. I was five, and then it was, it was like, <laughs> let's go. But there's a new kind of collaboration you stepped into yeah. of this kind of intentional kind of sharing into the world. I have to say that it is really it has been really beautiful as an audience member to hear it, to just hear the kind of ways in which you choose to love each other in this space, in this conversation, mm. saying yes to each other, building on each other's ideas, even just like right now. <laughs> it's really beautiful to witness as a collaborative process that you're going through with each other. What has this practice of collaboration taught you, opened up for you and taught you about each other also, not just about yourself? I will say since Autumn came into my life, she's really been such a remarkable part of my life and someone who's been a great teacher to me. Like I've always been learning from her. She's always been like, I've always looked up to her as the person who's like so brave and so fearless. And so, you know, like when we were younger, like she was just like, well, I'm not standing for that. Like she just had something in her that was just like always able to like reject the status quo and, and kind of go her own path while creating and still being loving and connected. So getting to be in this process with her at a formative time for me. So it's like, as my visibility in the world was taking off and people were like, you know everything. I was like, I get to be in a conversation publicly with the person who I learn from and, and I have learned from so much. And it allows me to settle down. Like with Autumn, I never feel not human. Mm. I feel like I'm allowed to learn. I'm allowed to make mistakes. I'm with someone who I'm like, you know what I'm great at. And you also know what I'm not great at. You know where I do have wisdom and you also see where I make my mistakes and you hold all that. And Autumn is an exacting collaborator. Like her standards are very high for what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Like I tend to be like, let's move fast. And Autumn's like, and let's move correctly. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Let's do this really, really intentionally. Let's do this well. If we need to slow down something here, if we need to have a conversation here. I always feel like Autumn's willing to just be like, okay, hold on, you know, what's happening? Or even all the administrative stuff. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know nothing about that. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, that's also something I would say is I feel like there's a part of me that is a permanent child. Like I'm very childish, childlike, you know, I'm getting more adulting under my belt, but Autumn, I feel like has been way ahead of me on a lot of those things. And I think that's been a fun part of the dynamic too. Cause I always feel like I'm like, bloop, bloop, bloop. And she's like, well, yeah. And also, you know, the grown up path is, is like, I'll be like off in my idealistic visiony space. And she's like, and here's the pragmatic ways that we can make that happen. And it just always feels like a really, I don't know. It just feels exciting to me. Like I'm always excited to bring my ideas to Autumn. I'm always excited to bring my problems to Autumn. I really, really deeply, deeply trust her. And I think we've learned a ton about each other in the process of doing this podcast. Yeah. So like, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. <laughs> Adrian, I love you so much. I, I just too, really, <laughs> those reflections are so beautiful. I love the like, yeah, if you're the permanent child, I feel like I'm like a permanent adult. Like yes. I was having this <laughs> you were moment. An adult. <laughs> I, I literally had this moment last night where I was, like lying on my bed with Siobhan and Maraid both like cuddled up on me there. Those are for the audience. Those are two of my children who are 12 and nine. And they were asking me like, when do you think Maraid was like, when do you think Siobhan's going to go through her rebellious phase? And Siobhan's <laughs> like, mom, when did you go through your rebellious phase? And I was like, I never went through a rebellious phase because I never felt the need to prove my independence from my parents. <laughs> In some ways it's like getting to do a project like this, with my beloved sister, I think we knew that it was going to push us to edges that we couldn't quite see. But we also did it knowing that we were finally ready to bring the way that our minds interact with each other into view of others. And Adrian has always been my first reader, my first listener, 
if I create something and I feel vulnerable about it, like she's the person that I put it in front of because I know that she's going to love whatever I make. (laughs) And I also know, like, I mean, so there's that, but I also know that her loving whatever I create is not going to interfere with her ability to like also give me Virgo level feedback about it, (laughs) which I deeply appreciate. Like I hear you, Adrian, in terms of your like, I'm like a child, but also you're like, also a Virgo. Yes, a Virgo child. So you have that attention to detail. And truly, Umang, if I'm going through something really, really hard and I need to send a difficult or share a difficult communication with someone, Adrian is the person who will be able to be like, drill, 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 drill down. Mm. Here's exactly the only thing that actually needs to be said, right? (laughs) It's fucking amazing to be intimate with someone (laughs) like that. But I will say we have always been so close. We've always had that bestie relationship layered on top of the like, and very clearly, you're my big sister. I'm your little sister relationship. And as listeners to our show will know, we had always understood ourselves as being in deep political collaboration We had also kept our work pretty intentionally Mm -hmm. separate from one another until we reached this point in 2017 where we were like, there's something that is so magical that happens here in the way that we are able to connect the ideas that are – because one of the other things that that is true for Adrian and I is that we will often be – working the same idea or working the same practice or arriving at the same like, oh, damn, I just figured this out about the world. We'll have that happening often at the same time without realizing it. Mm. Yes. And then I might be thinking about something for several months and then I'm like, Adrian, I think blah, 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 blah. And she'll be like, oh my God, girl, I was just writing on my blog about da, 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 da. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's always been that sort of synergy that happens across space time Mm. that is likely, I mean, obviously it can't be disconnected from the fact that we were born into the same family and that we share a lot of the same interests Mm. and practices. But I think there came a point for us where we were like, what would it mean if, we allowed that synergy to also be happening in a way where like movement community could also be experiencing and benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. And then like, what is that model? Our world is so hyper individualistic, right? Yes. And one of the ways that that plays out in movement community is this constant vying for ownership of ideas. Yeah. And some of that shit makes sense. You know, it's like we have lots of history of co-optation of ideas and all the things, da-da-da-da-da. I don't feel like I need to go into that. But it results in like a movement ethos in which folks can be like tricked into the lie that there's such a thing as an original idea. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? No. You know, so I feel like one of the things that Adrian and I are able to do through this work with each other in the show and hopefully on behalf of others and community is like model, like what does it look like to release attachment to the idea that like it comes from me or it comes from you when it's actually happening between us. Like everything that happens happens between Between people. people. I mean, Autumn, I really love you uplifting this part because for years also, I mean, this was something really interesting is because I don't have kids, I'm not building a family in that way. I'm just growing ideas, birthing ideas, growing ideas, birthing ideas. And Autumn is like, okay, well, I have this whole family. I've got these three kids. I'm raising them. And so we would come together and just ideate our asses off and have these brilliant, like, ah, you know, and then I would go from that and be like, okay, here's a book. Here's a this, here's a that, here's a projects. I really... I feel like came into a real clear awareness of like, this is an imbalance that exists in our world. And it's, it was like, not just with Autumn, but several of my friends who became mothers in their twenties, I was like, these are the most brilliant people, but they don't have time to be writing books right now because the way this capitalism stuff is structured, is like, they don't have positionality where they can have it all, do it all, whatever. It's like, I'm doing this and I'm also busting my ass at some job (laughs) and like whatever. So there was something about it also that was like, let's show this right? Let's show that like two people who are living kind of different lives, but are sharing ideation. Because I was like, oh, people think I found Octavia Butler and went in this direction. I'm like, Autumn was one of the first people to figure out that Octavia Butler was teaching us how to get to the future, right? 
Like, and then I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, (laughs) I also feel like for a long time, and I'm really curious to hear what you think about this, Autumn, but there's this, this celestial body thing for me where I'm like, I'm a moon and there's all these people who are like these bright lights. And I'm, I'm like the moon that's like redirecting and getting the light to the ocean and getting the light to the people. And I think that was true for the first phase of my life. And now I think I'm entering into a sun phase, which I feel like I'm okay to enter into my own sun phase and be like, okay, I've got my own Mm. light that's also generating because I'm in a strong body of celestial bodies, (laughs) like a strong, you know, it's like, I'm in this sense where I'm like, I'm surrounded by celestial bodies. Mm. I'm surrounded by people who can really hold their own. And it's exciting to me to model that all the time that it's like, yeah, I'm not out here by myself, just sitting in a room thinking thoughts. I'm in a, I'm in really strong relationships with lots of people. And this is a really exciting time to be thinking about where we've come from and where we're going. And here's who I think with. Hmm. Oh, there was just so much in that that was so beautiful and generative and juicy. And there is a part of literally writing that you might be doing just sitting by yourself. Yeah. And we have this image of writers who are just channeling things by themselves, right? Like writing by themselves. And at the same time, are they alone though in that? Can you actually be alone in that? Just because there are conversations with people or with trees. Yeah. There are so many poets who write inspired by the nature they walk in. So can you really have an original idea is a really beautiful, profound question. And it it reminds me actually of something. Again, maybe my mom's going to be in all of this conversation, but she is. is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I learned growing up was that, you know, Ramayan is an epic and then you can, we can talk about it's problematic and all those things, but it's a Hindu epic story that is taught at home. And one of the things they say about Ramayana is that the important Ramayana is the one that your mother tells the child, because every retelling of that is the one that is the most important. And so we don't actually even know who the original person, who, I mean, there is this name, Valmiki, he's not even the originator of the story. And there's so many versions of it. There's the regional versions, but there's actually the version that matters is the one that you receive from your parent. I love that. Uh... I love that. Yeah. And I love this idea that there is actually no originality of ideas. We're all just channeling our version of what love there is in the world, really, in mm-hmm. a way. And so I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your constant act of collaboration with each other. And since you brought up the kids, one of my favorite episodes from just this season of How to Survive the End of the World, the love season, is the one in which Autumn, your kids got COVID. At least one of them tested positive. Yes. Yeah. Love the child. Yeah, I love that episode. And you adapted to the process because... I think Adrian was supposed to be there and couldn't because now y'all had to quarantine and all these things happened. Mm. And it was just such an intimate experience, even though you couldn't actually be there with each other to have the conversation you were having to separate out to take care of each other and the kids. We were crying. <laughs> it was one of the most beautifully structured. You had to hear, you know, you in the bathtub, <laughs> Autumn drinking Prosecco at another time. Like it's a really moving, beautiful oh adaptation of love. <laughs> So maybe I'll ask you to tell us a little bit about that episode, the making of it, the experience of making that. Well, actually, it is one of my favorite episodes we've ever done mm. because this is how we communicate with each other. Yeah. <laughs> so for years, Autumn was using this prop program called Vox and she would Vox her friends and would Vox her back. And she would tell me about it. I'm like, that sound, I don't understand what you're talking about. You're just leaving each other long, long voice memos. Like what the heck? But then this past year or so I got it right. I was like, oh, this is amazing. So I can just talk uninterrupted and get my whole situation out and like frame it all up or whatever for as long (laughs) as I want. And like, so we will send each other, like I'll wake up (laughs) and it's basically like I have a podcast episode of updates Mm -hmm. from Autumn and I've also gotten some other friends doing it now. So it's like, you know, I just start my day like with the voices of my friends and particularly with Autumn, like we'll share sometimes 17 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, updates of like, girl, let me tell you. And it always starts at girl. Let me tell you what's going on. <laughs> right? Girl, you're not going to believe what my day was like today. God is testing me today. <laughs> I don't understand what I did to deserve this, but I mean, it could be better. Who knows? But what the hell? So that particular episode, we were both gutted when we realized, like, I was overdue for a visit. If my memory serves me correctly, it was in the wake of the Uvalde shooting. It and was. so there was this yeah. real... I was feeling this intense auntie need to go and hold the babies and be near them. 
And then Autumn was like, hey, we just did the test. And it was like literally the day that she was supposed to arrive. And so we were gutted and we kind of throughout the day, we kept checking in. And and then I think you had the idea, Autumn, of just like, why don't we record ourselves going back and forth a bit with some voice memos and just see what happens. And then, yeah, we kind of made it into like having a drink together. Like I got in the bathtub. I had made myself like some what I would call a fancy Adrian drink, which is just like, what the heck is in here? Kombucha, some alcohol, and some lavender syrup is my memory. But I was sitting in the bath talking. The drink was stronger than I normally have. And then Autumn, we just were sending each other voice notes back and forth. I think we went to bed. We woke up the next day and had a few more. There was the intimacy of like, I'm not even going to think of this as a potential podcast episode. I'm just going to think about what I want to say to Autumn in this moment. And we have a really beautiful editing process with Zach and we trust him a lot. Mm. I can be as intimate as I want to. And if there's anything that feels too much, we can pull it back. But it was really gentle. It was a really beautiful process to be in. Like I remember everything about what it felt like to be in the moment of that that recording. Mm. It felt so good. Because I remember too that the morning... Adrian and I are both like also we're kind of in touch with each other all day. And so the morning that my oldest kid tested positive, at first I couldn't reach Adrian. Yeah. And it turned out that she was just like literally getting body work. But 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 because of the context, like because of the fact that like the Uvalde shooting had just happened. And frankly, as I said in the episode, I was grateful to have a reason to not have to send my kids to school. Mm -hmm. Whenever a school shooting happens, as a parent, you feel like you're fucking rolling the dice sending your children into a school. But I remember that for like two hours, I couldn't reach Adrian, and I just flew into a fucking panic. I was like Instagram messaging like her local friends in Durham being like, do you know where she is? Like, have you heard You know, and then it turned out that, you know, she was just getting body work and, but it just let me know that the fact that I had that level of charge in my Mm. body about Mm. not being able to see her, let me know just the depth of what was happening for, for both of us, for everybody. And, you know, we were also in our personal lives going through, we were both going through major work and shit in our personal lives. Like we had been like, yeah, we're going to get there. I'm going to hug these babies. We're going to put them to sleep. And then we were going to sit and talk for hours because girl, because girl, I've got so much I need to tell you that I need to tell you face to face. Yeah. Because even though we talk all the time, there's just a different level of something that can happen when you're face to face. Yes. Yeah. Side by side. That episode, <laughs> it was very healing to record. And for me, like being able to like let myself get a little drunk also while recording was really because yes. I'm not even like a drinker, really. That's the funny part about it, I think, for that, because neither of us are. So it's just like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> it was just really funny. And bl- God bless Zach, because the way the production came together, Amon, you'll appreciate this as a as a podcaster, that literally we had to create a like WhatsApp thread yes. with Zach where we were forwarding the messages as they were getting recorded and then like mm. numbering them so that he could make sense of the order in which they had been. That was like a different level of musical production that was included in that episode too. Mm-hmm. And right. I love what he did with the final version of it. It's a very beautiful episode. Yeah. Thank you for letting us go there. What is your relationship to your audience? Because I know in the seasons recently, you've done AMAs, Ask You Anything, and you've had listeners come in and offer things you've, you've brought in stuff. What it sounds to me like is that there was this need inside of y'all to do this podcast that came from inside, from came from like this feeling inside that this feels like the right thing to move towards. What were you hoping for? What was the relationship you were hoping for? And how did you transform your relationship over time with your audience? Because you've not done it for quite a while. What is this building of collaborative relationship with the audience, specifically about podcasts. And also, I think the second part of that question, I know this is a long question, but a second part of that question is also, how do you see yourself as an audience member when you move through the world? I mean, I feel like I'm an audience member and then I'm now here in conversation with y'all. What is your relationship to audience ship? That is such a good question. Yeah, it really is. It's like, when is something being audienced and how do you know that it is? Truly, when we first started, 
we had no idea what was going to happen. I think we had very few and maybe one might consider low expectations of like- Very low. Our pilot season (laughs) was five episodes. We were able to record in the same place with the exception of the interview with Alexis, Pauline Gums, where she and I were in the same place and we had to Zoom you in. It was very much a like, this is an experiment. If 500 people- listen to this, that would be very cool. And then it was like 20,000 people listened to it. And we were like, oh, damn. <laughs> like, that's thousands. Like, who are these people? <laughs> um, yeah. I've met people recently who are like, I've listened from the very beginning. And I'm like, wow, like that's so beautiful to know that because it's it's been quite an arc. Yeah. There are some things that have really shifted in – the way that we do, not just like the logistics of how we record, but also how we understand what makes an episode. That's right. I think when we first started out, we did from the beginning and always have had what we call our podcast treasure chest, which is our like container for all of the things that we know we would love to talk about at some point in the show. Sometimes that will result in us creating like a themed season around those things. But sometimes those things just sort of stay in the list until we get to them. And so it was like through that, those lists that we created the sibling season, that we created the apocalypse miniseries, that we created the all about love season. But the first few seasons were not like, we would have little like mini series of episodes where we might do two to three on the same, like the Me Too miniseries and the economies miniseries. But mostly we were really in the zone of like, well, what do we want to talk about? It took us a while before we really even started considering or asking for the audience to inform on what they... I mean, I think right away we started dealing with the weird pitch thing that happens when you start a podcast where suddenly people are like, and I mean, it happens now. I'm I, for some reason I'm the person who receives the pitches. Like, but to my, <laughs> but no, it, but it's hilarious because it's always to my aorta email account, like my workplace email account for my job job. Some I don't know where how that email got out into the world, but I get all of these random pitches <laughs> from people. And from very early on, we said to ourselves, no pitches. We do not take pitches from anyone. Like mm. we will only book the guests that we think we want to talk to you, right? And we also said from the very beginning, no ads, right? We did start Patreon pretty early on. It took a long time for us to get to a point where we were like, kind of had enough feet under us to be able to be like, okay, let's do rewards for patrons. Let's do like, you know, we only recently actually finally fucking launched Merch in Tears. You know, like it took us a long time to get to a point where we were like, okay, we feel like we haven't, this is enough of a solid business that we can actually do something like that. But mostly it was like, people understand what this project is. Like we are anti-capitalists. We're not using this as like a primary source of income. And so if folks want to support us financially, knowing that there's not a lot that's going to come with that aside from just more episodes of our show, then like (laughs) they know that that's what they're signing up for, right? And where it's very nice to like finally be at a point where we can actually be like, and you get a tote bag (laughs) and you get like the Ask Us Anything episodes, which are only for our patrons. And yeah, so now we have a little bit more infrastructure to be able to be like in a little bit of conversation. Mm-hmm. with audience members. But I think one one last thing I'll say about this, we noticed right away, actually I'll say Zach noticed this right away because Zach is a producer, podcaster, like that's what his yeah. job is. And a very active partner in what we do. Yeah. And he s- saw some broader trends right away that we didn't or we wouldn't have known to see. And one of them was the type of feedback and response that we receive from the audience which is like people people were regularly letting us know that the show felt not just nourishing but life-saving for them. Yeah. There were folks who were reaching out saying like this helped me survive one of the darkest periods of my life. This helped me renew a sense of hope that change is possible in the world. The kind of responses we get from our audience are not like typical of a podcast. And I think that vested us pretty early on with a sense of real responsibility for the nature of the content Mm. and for holding those containers of like, 
yeah, no ads, no joining any of these like big platforms where you have to have a certain number of impressions in order to stay on the fucking air or whatever, you know, like I'm not against making money. I love money, but for the nature of this project and what it means to the audience that we've attracted, I think that that has helped set a container for how it will continue to be produced. Mm. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. I think you covered it really thoroughly. The only thing I would add is we learned from our audience. Mm -hmm. There's definitely been places where it was like, this isn't as accessible as it needs to be. Or there's some language that was like, oh, I didn't know that was offensive. I didn't know that was not a way to speak about this. Or let's make sure we have transcripts and just different things like that, that it, it feels like our audience is really loving with how they give us our lessons. Mm. And we have learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've learned stuff while doing the podcast that has helped with the way I do everything. Mm. Early on, and I think our early listeners might remember this, I had to basically pretend there was no audience. I was at a precipice where I was like, I don't really know how to handle visibility. I would listen back to every single episode and be like, how is this going to be received? Like, is it okay you know, to be honest about this? Like, I don't know. And- I really feel like that has shifted because I do feel like now I'm just sort of like, we're human, we exist. And like, if we make a mistake, our folks will let us know. And, yeah. but we have the right to be humans and to make mistakes and to learn together. And now I don't feel that need or that terror. Right. But I also feel like some of that was like writing, we will not cancel us and kind of figuring out like, what is my stance around public failure and mistakes and learning Yeah, and being like, actually, I don't want to be scared. I want to be in an invitation of, of learning publicly and be in relationships with an audience that, that wants to do that together. So I feel like that part has really shifted. And now people come up to both of us, I think for lots of different reasons. And I would say the people who are the most like loving <laughs> are the people who listen to this particular podcast. Right. And I think the same, when you ask like, how am I as an audience member? I love our podcast. Like I listen to our podcast. Like when it comes out, I listen to it to be like, this is good. And I also know how I am with the other podcasts I listen to where I'm like, that's my friend. Mm -hmm. I love that person. I love them. I love the conversation they're having. I'm inserting myself in it all the time. And Mm -hmm. I love imagining (laughs) that that's how people are with us. That They're like, those are my sisters. Those are my friends. Mm -hmm. But I feel like people are good with boundaries. (laughs) Like, I don't feel people come in and they're like, you're my friend. But I do feel like they're like, I love you. And I really understand you or I know you. Occasionally, I'll have to be like, well, also, that's a part of what you know. That's not all of it. Yes. And we both still have a private life. And there's a lot that we don't share. There's a lot that we wait to share. For me, I often think about, like, can I express this? with kindness? Can I express this with everyone's humanity honored in it? And if I'm not there yet, then I don't need to be talking about it publicly. <laughs> and right. And I think we also learn like, how do we express anger or rage or boundaries or other things like that? And the audience has actually been really helpful to me with that too. Because I feel like the audience, there is a sense of people being like, we got you. Yeah. You could be angry here too. Like we're all angry about something. That's also part of the experience. So we had a one season where we had a flume of rage and it was like an intentional practice of being like, let's engage this. Like, let's talk about the things that upset us in real time. This season is all about love, is honoring bell hooks. Yeah. And so there's a double audience layering that's happening this season. To mm. me, it feels like there's this way that it's like the Venn diagram of like, if you are in the audience of bell hooks, and you're in our audience, or if you're in our audience and you didn't know about bell hooks yet or vice versa or whatever, like there's this intentional way of being like, we want to thread these things together. Like what bell hooks has moved in her life and in a sense of losing her too soon, there's a way of being like, we want to carry these conversations forward and, and, and help her audience to be able to have more ways to engage and help our audience have, have more ways to engage. So I just want to name that too. I love that. I love that. And I was going to actually, the thing that I was coming up from when you said that there's a, there's a double layering of audience, I actually thought you were going to say there's an ancestral listening of your audience that actually uh, one of the yeah. audience members is Bell Hooks. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and so you were also considering the physicality of people who are listening to your episode, mm. but then there's also this other layer of people. Anyway, it, <laughs> I'm sure she is. I'm sure she is. I wonder how, what you've experienced with each other here 
has moved into other spaces. You you both do a lot of collaborative work outside of the podcast. Autumn, the work that you do with facilitation and building a co-op, which I think is this beautiful model of democratization of business. And so I wonder what are the connections and collaborations between what you both are doing here and what you're doing out in the world? Mm. One of the things that comes up for me as you ask that is noticing when something that we have created in the environment of the show becomes a resource in community or in movement where we didn't necessarily, because oftentimes it's like either a conversation that we're having or a interview that we've done, we're not necessarily thinking of it as a resource we are developing, quote unquote. And then we find that it has moved into movement community as a resource for others. I've seen that happen even inside my own co-op where conversations that Adrian and I had on the show about transformative justice are then showing up inside of my cooperative space as a resource for how we are thinking about transformative justice and accountability. I've seen that happen with, there's several conversations that we've had that I've seen then show up in like black feminist curriculum guides and other kinds of like community resources that people are publishing where they're like, listen to this episode. And then here's a discussion guide to have with your community about it. And To me, that is like the ideal fruit of a collaboration like this, which is that folks feel that the conversation that we've had is of use and because it's promoting deeper conversations to be happening that wouldn't otherwise necessarily be happening without the container of like something to listen to that then like makes you think differently. But to the question of how this collaboration has like influenced other types of collaborations for me personally, I will say that like, wow, the bar is set so high now. Yes. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And Adrian and I are in the lucky place of like, not just being sisters who like a lot of the same things and want to talk about a lot of the same things, but also sisters who are like deeply committed to our healing work and are working Mm -hmm. a lot of the same patterns, right? Mm -hmm. And so- We've had an opportunity over the years to be doing deeper, deeper, deeper work around like finding our own yes. Yes. And then getting more and more clear in our individual lives and then together about like, well, what do we actually want to say yes to? That's right. And we'll even pass it to each other, sort of a like, someone asked me to do blah, blah, blah. And then, well, does that feel like a yes for you or not, girl? You know what I mean? And exactly. so. And so I feel like that that has carried me now inside of the other work that I'm doing where, well, I think even about like my separate from my activism work, or not separate, informed by for sure, but I am working on a music project. I'm working on an album with a longtime collaborator and beloved person named Nehemiah who lives in New York City. And so it's a long distance collaboration. And that means that the collaboration takes a lot of time and it's like a slow burn project. But for me, working with Nehemiah is such a full body yes that mm-hmm. I am, I would much rather take a long time to produce that excellent sound that's rooted in yes than yeah. I would to be like, I'll just find someone who's local to me who will help me put something out into the world. Like, no, that's not my yes. My yes is I want to be making music with him. And that has helped me stay really clear about how I'm orienting to the project, even in moments where it's like, oh, it's been so long since we've met. And oh, I wish we were talking more often. And I think the same is true inside the work that I'm doing in Aorta right now, because our workplace is so highly collaborative. And also, we each have a lot of autonomy to determine what kinds of projects we were going to work on, who within our team we're going to collaborate most closely with. And so even inside of my co-op of just 13 people who are all doing facilitation and political education and movement strategy, I still have choice to say, here is the person in this group that I know I'm going to be best it's going to be the best fit for our brains to be working on this type of project that's related to like whatever, reproductive justice, you know. That's been a really beautiful, I feel like it's a resource that I got out of a, working with Adrian. Yeah. that now is like my whole life is just about what's my yes and what's my no. <laughs> yes. I love that so much. Yeah. 
Yeah. I feel like I'm like, if it's not as good as this, I don't really want it. Like when I'm working with other people, I'm like, I really enjoy, I know. So for a while, I think I had a story of like, I'm not a good collaborator or I'm not good at collaborating with other people. Like I just need to be a hermit like Octavia Butler was and go write my books and blah, blah, blah. And I think that was because I hadn't learned how to have generative conflict inside of collaboration, like really be able like, oh no, I have a different opinion. This, this, I have a different thing that I want, right? And Autumn is like really skilled at being like, no, actually here's what I think. And, or here's a different path or here's what makes more <laughs> sense in a way yes. that like doesn't diminish you, right? But it's just sort of like, here's a different thing. Here's something else that I really want to do. And especially once Autumn started working with Aorta and would come back and be like, here's how we do this. I was like, wow. So wait, <laughs> you guys talk explicitly about the impact of celebrity inside of a group, or you talk explicitly about how the money stuff is going, or you talk explicitly, like it was like so exciting to be like, actually, that's what makes the collaboration juicy is being able to have all the conversations about anything that creates or impacts or shifts the dynamic. Right. So I think it's made our collaboration stronger. And it's also then every time I come into something else, I'm like, if I can't say this isn't working for me for this reason, or this needs to shift, or here's my line, or let's check in about the power dynamics, Mm -hmm. or like, just let's fucking talk about the reality of this collaboration, then I don't really want to be a part of it. And that's been really helpful for me because I'm like, I have a high standard because I'm in a high standard collaboration yes. <laughs> as a fundamental practice. And then I also think I've really learned. So in a lot of the spaces I've been in, people are like, you're irreplaceable. You have to be there. You have to do it. There's like a pressure that can exist around that. And I feel like in this space, one of the things I've learned is like, that is not the case. The best reactions that we've ever had to the to a podcast season were the season that I was away on sabbatical and Autumn did a whole mini series on apocalypse survival. And people like all the time, that's when people are like, that's the most useful season, right? And it was such, for me, it was just a thrilling, like, yeah, exactly. Calm the fuck down. Like, it's, it's really great to partner with people where you're like, I can leave and you've got it. I can come back and it's c- cool. You can take a time and, and you can go on sabbatical. I've got it. Like there's a real sense of like, we can both attend to ourselves. We can, we roll deep. We're like, is it time for us to take a break? Like often we'll be like, we'll look ahead and plan a break, forget that we plan the break. And then we'll hit that moment and be like, girl, I need a break. <laughs> we're like, oh yeah, it's, it's time for us. Oh, yeah, it's time for a break anyway. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, and it's just there's an organic nature. No matter what we plan, there's this organic nature of like, can we be honest about like, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> like, I'm just like, too much is going on right now. Can we take a break? And it's like, oh yeah, of course. And we're never trying to push each other. Whatever we record the day that we're recording. If we wake up and one of us is like, honey. It's not happening today. Mm-hmm. There's never a stressful response to that. There's never like, we got it. It's like, of course, live your life. Yeah. Like totally. this is supposed to be a joy. This is supposed to be something that feels good for us. We have definitely had the experience too of showing up to a Zoom call and being like, you know what? I need sister time. I need to just have a sister level conversation. We can't even record it. It's like, it's this is what's actually the fuck going on. Yes. Yeah. I was like, the people are not, they don't need to hear this. <laughs> they don't need to hear this. <laughs> Maybe someday. <laughs> Maybe someday when I figured out what's yeah. wisdom in here. Yeah. There's an idea inside of like polyamory of compersion of like when someone else is winning or someone else is falling in love or someone else is having a great experience that you're like, I'm so happy for you. Like it's as, as good as if it was happening to me. Like I'm just so happy for you. And yes. I feel like working with Autumn, like I get that feeling all the time. Same, same. Like when something is going great for her, I'm just yes. like, oh, yes. you sang an original song that was commissioned for people on a stage and you looked great. Like, ah, you know, yes. it's just such joy and which is yeah. so necessary because our interests are so common that if, if we, I think if, the, if we didn't have that compersion, we weren't cultivating celebration for each other all the time. It could be really hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. it could be like, if there was any competition, it would be really hard. It would be and hard. instead it just feels like, girl, thank God you're really good and I'm really good and let's go out here and be really good. <laughs> you know? Like, can you imagine if one of us wasn't really amazing? <laughs> I don't think that would work. And you know, the thing is we have a third sister who is also totally amazing. Extremely amazing. Right? Like, <laughs> 
our parents, I don't know what they were drinking, but something in the water, like everyone is just, you know, in whatever we choose to do, we are hard workers. We're willing to like learn and it shows up. Right. And I learn a lot about, I say it all the time. It's the standards thing. I just learned so much from Autumn about like, oh, I could pursue excellence here. Mm. Right. And if I'm not interested in pursuing excellence, like, do I want to do it? Mm. Is it just fun? Does it feel good? Like, because Autumn is one of the people who knows more than anyone else, the places where I am competitive or where I do have this hard, like, I need to do it well. I need to be excellent at it. And it's, I don't know, something about being known in that way where she's like, okay, that's there. Also, are you enjoying it? Because I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of things you could be excellent at if you pursue it. But (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that I get to see that very few people get to see is what happens when the Adrian is playing cards. And <laughs> it can get really, really, really nasty. I'll just say it's rough out here. Adrian is a winner. She wins really easily. I can't help it. She's really good at games. My brain is designed for like card game thinking. Card games, yeah. all kinds of games. And <laughs> she has this like version of herself that she'll let out. <laughs> That is like so (laughs) smug and like, (laughs) it's like, and like the more defensive and upset another person gets about her winning, the more she just relaxes into the winning version of hers. It's like so amazing to watch. Like I kind of wish that because I, as someone who like also wins at everything, I also win a lot, but, and I can get really, I mean, you're a Sagittarius. I'm a Sagittarius. And I, and part of being a Sagittarius means that like, I can get really competitive, but I also just love talking shit, whether I'm winning or not. And so I really enjoy the way Adrian gets during a game. I love the way she talks shit, but I've watched people lose their goddamn minds about it (laughs) because they can't handle because <laughs> it's like it's really hard okay so it's really hard because this is the thing right and and I will say I will admit also here that like when I'm not winning I go quiet right like okay. it's not like I go quiet you don't like that I look wounded it's not like I can like talk shit in, in all the circumstances like my idea of myself is oh I don't really care about the winning but like what's God. true in the moment is like I mean, and this is, we recently played a game of Monopoly in which all the children were playing and the youngest person in our household who I love deeply was winning. And I was like, I don't even know how to handle it. You could not handle it. I was like, first of all, I don't even believe in capitalism. This stupid game. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't. It went deep. It went really, it cut really deep. And I was like, Adrian, are you are you getting this feeling about a child winning a game? Check yourself I just, before you wreck yourself. I just had to look yourself. up. I looked up Adrian, made eye contact, just like raised my eyebrow. And Adrian was. It was like, helpful. Okay. I was like, yeah, I needed. I I was like, I needed to be gathered because I was about to go into giving a speech. But it was because I was like, I I'm losing. I cannot figure out how to win this situation, right? And there's most games. I also say that it's like. Any game where it's like, it's about synthesizing the information really quickly or moving really quickly to see stuff. I'm like, if it's, there's, if there's something about like making your brain work as fast as possible, like it's almost impossible to beat me in a game like that. Yes. But in a game yes. like Monopoly, where it's about accumulating goods, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm never going to win. <laughs> and Monopoly is like, it's all about the long game strategy. And also the way that you lose in Monopoly is so humiliating that like, it's you know, awful. they really make it last as like, long as possible. I was like, can I be possible. done with this game? <laughs> it's so terrible. It's just like real life. Yeah. Oh, so sorry, so Mung. We are way yeah. off topic. No, here. no. I love this. I love this because the reason I love this is because I am a Virgo rising and a Sagittarius sun. <gasps> oh, baby. So you know about all of this. <laughs> so this is really working for me because I'm yes. like, this is all good for me. <laughs> well, and you, Mung, do you know that our whole family, so is Autumn and both of my parents are all Sag. And then I'm a Virgo and we have a Pisces sister, right? So just imagine our poor sister trying to navigate. <laughs> it's horrible for her. All of that. You know, I'm all mutable signs also. So I feel it. It's really tender. It is a thing. Good with change. Good with adaptation. Good with moving with things. As long as I'm making the change. Okay, let's go. <laughs> it's true. 
I'm like, hmm. I'm going to ask you a question about moving forward and collaboration. And, and I know you're sci-fi nerds yes. and interested in storytelling and stories from all realms. And so I wonder if there is a character or an entity that you would mm. are either in active loving collaboration with or would like to be in loving divine collaboration with. Wow. I'm so glad you asked me this question <laughs> because recently I went to see this movie called The Woman King. Yes, I love it. And there's a character in it named Izogi. So I fell madly in love with Izogi. And I knew that in the falling in love, like I was very clear to me, like I'm in love with this character. So this character is a character who is completely unavailable to love, says so in the movie. And it's the structure of the entire society of that movie and is also a fictional character. So also unavailable at that level. And yet... (laughs) It did nothing to stop my love. It's really deep. So the collaboration that I'm in now, actually in autumn, I don't know if I told you this, but Janata and I were DMing each other about how deeply in love we are with Izogi, right? First rule of life, always obey Izogi. I am Izogi. We're in love. <laughs> and so we're writing fan fiction about Izogi. And in the fan fiction, my character is one of the singers. So there's like a group of singers and drummers that play and sing for them while they're like dancing and getting themselves all riled up to go to war. And I am the singer who's also Zogi's like lover and like makes her realize that she can experience love in this lifetime. <laughs> I don't know what Janata's story is, but we're going to both write our fan fiction and share it at some point with the world so that Izogi can continue. So that's I me. love that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's very very erotic, literal. I haven't gotten quite to a storyline yet, but I'm just like, Izogi comes near me and I breathe. So it's, (laughs) yeah. Love is life force. Love Love is is life force. force. Yeah. My love is going to save her. So it's really exciting. From herself. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So I'm trying to find the name of the character, the main character in this particular short story that I just Mm. recently read. So it's a short story by Ursula K. Le Guin called Solitude mm. that was given to me by a, one of my friends and partners in my dojo, my Aikido dojo, my friend Abby, like dropped it off for me to read when I was quarantined with COVID in August. And this story is just absolutely incredible. It takes place in this sort of like maybe alternate future, far, far, far in the future where there's like colonization of maybe not just like the solar system that we're in, but like other parts of the galaxy. And there's like an anthropologist who decides to, in order to be able to complete her research, she decides to make a home on this planet with her two children. But the culture of the planet is so fundamentally different than her home world. Mm. But then her children end up being raised inside this culture and they understand it even more deeply than the anthropologist does. And her daughter is like basically the narrator of the story. And that character, the daughter, whose name I can't remember, I'd have to be able to find a copy of it somehow. But she's the one who I feel like I'm in this maybe loving collaboration with of like really deeply considering because it's one of those stories that you read it and it helps you really, really call into question like what is, what are some of the fundamental underlying assumptions of my worldview and Mm. like how do I even understand what is normal versus trauma versus pain versus pleasure versus, you know what I mean? It's like Mm. that kind of story. And that's the kind of shit that I love because I'm always walking around in the world being like, I mean, maybe it's bad, but maybe it's normal somewhere. Yeah. 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 That's real. That's right. I'm looking at this. So the world is called Eleven Sorrow. Mm-hmm. And the narrator, mm-hmm. they're like the narrator and her brother, Borny. I'm like, wait, <laughs> why doesn't the narrator get to have a name? They never anyway. named the narrator in the descriptions. I don't know why. Oh, that is, that's so weird. But yeah, that's exciting. I'm excited to read this. I love that. Yes, love is everything and you can have it in so many formations. I mean, that's a whole other conversation yes, about like, there's like a monoculture sometimes we live in and where well, love is one thing. But really, yeah. That's not the reality of the earth we're living on, which is... Yeah, that's right. Not at all. Not at all. Okay, I'm going to honor your time. Thank you so much for sharing this morning with me and being in conversation with me. It was a real joy. It's so dreamy. Thank you, Umang. 
What an absolute delight. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was one of the best interviews that ever happened of all time. What a joy they are. If you want to show your support for Autumn and Adrian, you can become a patron of their show at patreon.com slash end of the world show. And if you've enjoyed our work, consider becoming a patron of ours at patreon.com slash possibilities podcast. It will be an immense support to us in doing this project sustainably. This podcast is creatively led, produced, and hosted by me, Among. Kamari is our season producer for the show. Editing and production work for this episode is done by Katie at Woke Fry Studios. The transcript, which you can find at possibilitiespodcast.com, is prepared by Jasmine. The graphics and social media coordination is done by Hermeeth. Admin support is provided by Salma. And the music for this season is done by Hashil and Lady Pista. You can find us at Possibilities Podcast on Instagram or reach us through our website. This podcast season is funded by Canada Council for the Arts, Toronto Arts Council, Groundswell Foundation, our patrons on Patreon, and the love of all of you, our dear listeners. Thank you so much for choosing to spend this time with us. We love you.